0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Welcome to another edition of KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. February is Women in Horror Month, and I'm going to get this podcast up just under the wire. I've been battling a cold and losing my voice, so I had wanted to celebrate Women in Horror much earlier in the month, but better late than never. For Women in Horror Month, I want to pay tribute to some wickedly talented filmmakers, Jen and Sylvia Soska.
1: You can call this interview in bed with the Twisted Twins. That's true. Because it's completely true. You'll get a lot of hits. (laughs) Beth in bed with the Twisted
0: Twins. Brackets. Miguel watches. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I need a photo to verify that. Well, Miguel Rodriguez of Horrible Imaginings Film Festival did get me that photo. You see, I hooked up with the Twisted Twins while we were both at Monsterpalooza, and their room was so small that the only place for all three of us to sit was on their bed. So, that's how I was lucky enough to get into bed with the Twisted Twins. And since they're masters at marketing, they encouraged me to promote my interview with those words. So for today's podcast, I go into the archives for a compilation of interviews I did starting in 2011 as I followed the progress of American Mary, their second feature film, through various festivals as it made its way to a distribution deal. I was first introduced to the work of the twin filmmaking sisters at the inaugural Horrible Imaginings Film Festival in San Diego. Festival director Miguel Rodriguez showcased their first feature film, Dead Hooker in a Trunk, in 2010. And I was hooked. The film revealed a bold new voice in horror, and I wanted more immediately. But it would be more than two years before their next feature, American Mary. But I was so excited about their project that I convinced NPR to let me do a feature about it. And that was before I had even seen a single frame of the film. That's how confident I was that it would be good. The film tackled a subject that's rarely discussed, body modification. Catherine Isabel plays Mary Mason, a med student whose financial hardship leads her into the lucrative world of underground surgery. This is about you
2: and how you can best express yourself to the world. There are numerous procedures outlined here, but please don't feel limited to them. The most important thing is that you're happy and comfortable with yourself. I know you may have come up against some harsh criticisms and judgments in the past, but you can feel confident that you're free of all such notions here. I can assure you that you'll receive your procedure in a safe and supportive environment and at a reasonable cost. It is difficult to put a price on feeling complete, though, isn't it?
0: Her clients ask her to split their tongues or surgically attach horns to their foreheads. That's all I knew about the film when I conducted a series of interviews with the Tight lipped Twisted Twins. They didn't want any of the film's secrets to get out before they had a chance to premiere the movie, but now I can reveal that the film also turns into a perverse rape revenge tale that's not afraid to go someplace very dark. Do John know?
2: I'm changing specialties, Doctor Grant. Have you ever heard of body modification? <laughs> Neither had I. Anyway, you know how you're always, always telling me that surgeons can't make any mistakes? So, in spirit of practice, I've come up with a little list of the most popular procedures that we are going to try on you tonight. So, we have tongue splitting. I know. Implants, sometimes referred to as 3D implants, teeth filing, genital modification, and voluntary amputation. So, I think we should get started. We have at least 14 hours of surgery ahead of us. And I would like to get it all done in one session. So I'm just going to grab your little tongue right here. Isn't this fun? I'm
3: Still learning from you. Oh. <laughs>
0: The Saskas are currently enjoying success with their reality show, Elevator. In fact, they just received their first Emmy nomination for Outstanding Host for a Reality Show or Reality Competition Program. They've also directed a pair of features for WWE Studios, Sino Evil 2 and Vendetta. They campaigned to try and get the directing gig for Deadpool 2 because they're diehard fans of the comic, but they lost out to 8711's David Leach but I'm still hoping they have a shot at Deadpool 3, because I'd love to see what they can come up with. I'm thrilled to see them achieve so much success, yet a part of me is sad that they haven't taken a break to make a more personal horror film again, one that would tap more deeply into their unique skill set and let us see once again that audacious and original horror sensibility that made American Mary such a kick-ass film. To begin, here's my interview with Jen and Sylvia Saska just before they were to make an appearance at Monster Palooza in Burbank in October of 2011. Miguel Rodriguez was in the room, but not in the bed with us, and he was very good about being quiet. But you can hear someone's stomach growling, but I can't remember which of us had forgotten to eat. I also speak with special visual and makeup effects artist Todd Masters, who worked with the Twisted Twins on American Mary. Here are the delightful, the adorable, the terrifyingly talented, and the oh-so-Canadian, Jen and Sylvia Soska. I started the interview by asking Sylvia to describe what she could reveal about the plot of American Mary, which they were very carefully keeping under wraps.
1: American Mary, yes. I would love to It's, it's She's like my, my baby My second born, I'm very very obsessed With her as CJ and Jen will probably tell you Because I never shut the fuck up and Also if I say the wrong thing She will literally kick my ass So I usually leave American Mary questions to Sylvia I feel like I'm a grizzly bear with this movie And it's my young anyways, it, uh, the movie follows uh, medical student Mary Mason, played by the incredibly talented and intoxicatingly beautiful Catherine Isabel of Ginger Snaps fame, and uh, it follows Mary Mason as she becomes increasingly broke and disenchanted with the medical profession and uh, surgeons she once admired, and the allure of easy money and notoriety takes her into the messy world of underground surgeries that leave more marks on Mary than her so-called freakish clientele. It's really a coming of age story and the harsh economy that we have right now, which sounds crazy, but it's actually pretty true.
0: Well, we have a a recent group of films that deal kind of with bizarre surgery. We've had Repo Genetic Opera, Repo Men, and then there's the new Almodovar film. What do you think about this is so kind of fascinating right now?
1: Well, I know the reason I was most fascinated about doing some sort of a a medical horror is because it's so real, and uh, a lot of the time when you go into medicine, these are human beings that you pay to cut you up. That they do cut into the flesh. I've spoken to uh, quite a few surgeons. My mother uh, sadly had a brain tumor when we were about three years old, but thank God we had this amazing uh, brain microsurgeon called Dr. Rootman that saved her life, but they're very eccentric people. Dr. Rootman, I love you if you're listening to this. You saved my mother's life, but you are a very interesting individual, and I'm not saying you go into the dark planes of this, but I think it's just so interesting because we put these people at this higher level, and you kind of just kind of see that there's humanity there it's not perfect these people are also somewhat flawed but um i think nobody likes going under the knife nobody at all and when you think of something like for example human centipede getting your mouth sewed to someone else's ass i mean that's a fucking nightmare and a half it's just it's really i don't know realistic horror i mean I could possibly believe that I would go to a hostel and get chopped up by people. Thank you, Eli Roth, for putting that evil in my brain. But I don't really fear that when I go to sleep I'm going to see Freddy Krueger, only if I'm really, really, really lucky.
0: Now, what about horror kind of fascinates you and makes you want to pursue it? It's so strange, but I don't remember a time
1: that I ever didn't like horror. Jennifer and I, being twins, we were weird enough as it was, and to add to that weirdness, we would always be playing with spiders, and nothing really scared us, and we'd watch other people react to us, especially when we were playing with these bugs, how they'd jump, and they'd get so frightened, and we were like, why would they be afraid of this? And so I guess the fascination with fear was just, just so real to us, especially being little girls, they're like, oh, you don't want to do horror movies, that's not for you, you won't like it. So naturally, at 10 years old, we would always go to our local video store, and we would literally haunt it for hours. They had this wonderful display of all these horror movies, and it was like a little haunted house, and we would go around looking at the back of boxes for the bloodiest things with the goriest messes, and we'd be like, oh, this is a good one, and we'd beg our mom, and never, never, never let us watch one until Poltergeist.
3: There's one more thing. A terrible presence is in there with her. So much rage, so much betrayal. I've never sensed anything like it. I don't know what hovers over this house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take your dog away from you. It keeps Caroline very close to it and away from the spectral light. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. To us, it is the beast.
1: She watched it with us, and we kept our cool, and then it was bedtime, and we freaked the fuck out. And she did something that actually literally changed our life forever. She sat us down and told us exactly what we had seen. She told us about the writers, the directors, the actors, and the prosthetic artists, and she told me everything I saw was systematically made by very talented artists with the intention of scaring me. And I was like, wait a minute, these people's job? is scaring people for a fucking living. And that was it. We're hopelessly hooked, which makes me even more excited to have such amazing prosthetics coming over in American Mary. It's just been, it's always been a dream to do a prosthetic movie with a lot of very interesting gore. Not the kind of stuff that you see, like you see people get stabbed and cut all the time, but medical mutilation. Now that that you can really have some fun with. I find horror is a really vital part of life. I really hate when people call it a sub-genre. The way I like to look at horror is kind of like when you get a kid an animal so that they have an early experience with dealing with death because if you lose your cat, of course, it's really upsetting and sad, but it's a lot better to have lost a cat or a goldfish or a hamster before having to deal with, say, the death of a parent or a grandparent horror is amazing because you can deal with the true horror in reality and you know it's fantastical horror as well because you need escapism as well, but in real life if you get attacked, if you're raped, if you're murdered, if you have some horrible situation happen to you or someone close to you you don't have the convenience of just, or the freedom of sitting there and watching it from a different perspective. You're in that horrific scene and I hate it when people try to put censorship in scenes that are very upsetting like that because in reality you can't skip to the next day you can't pan over to the curtains I think it's a very safe way for people to examine the darker side of human nature and like they that old saying is there's two dogs fighting in all of us and you know the good one and the bad one and whichever one we, wins is the one you feed more.
0: How difficult was it to get American Mary finance. Um Did you meet a lot of resistance in terms of the kind of story you Oh
1: my goodness. It was, it was. I can't even believe it, it was such an uphill battle. It's still sometimes a bit of an uphill battle. We went with a wonderful company called Industry Works, which is actually the company that uh, worked as a sales agent to get Dead Hooker and a Trunk out. And then we had this really raunchy, I thought really different script and a lot of people were reading and they were really excited to see how the movie turned out. But they didn't want to be involved at all, and they didn't want to take the risk, and nothing. As a matter of fact, what happened is my parents ended up mortgaging their house to get the first big chunk of funding, so people would actually be like, oh, you're not the first person in. These fuckers already have their money in there, so it's a little bit more of a safe investment. But thank God we found a a really good team that actually knows the story, read the script, and they're they're really excited about it. I remember there's this one gentleman who's a very big guy, and he has a movie out with a star in it, and it's been in a bunch of theaters, and it's a piece of shit, and he lost a lot of fucking money on that. And he read American Mary, and he... No, he, oh, no, no. He refused to read American Mary because he doesn't read scripts. He asked me how much tits was in it, and how much gore was in it. And then he asked me three times who the director was, and he's like, you know what, I can get someone way better than us. And it's just... <laughs> It's an uphill battle. I thought after we made Dead Hook Under Trunk, people would be like, oh, these girls kind of know what they're doing. Maybe we should give them a little bit more money. Fuck no. Absolutely fuck no. And if you're a filmmaker listening to this and you really want to get into it, do it yourself. Honest to God, do it yourself. There are some benefits to working inside a studio system, but you're going to have to work inside an independent studio system, and you're going to be making it for fucking cheap, and you just have to make sure you have people that are doing it because they're excited about the art and excited about making the story, not excited about the paycheck, because you can pay anybody to do their job. But you can't pay somebody to be passionate about something and kill themselves to make it happen. One of the biggest struggles about American Mary is, I know I can't say exactly what the film is about, but the content is so original and it's never been done before. And that really does entice people and they get excited by it. But because it's never been done before and it's such an original idea, it's not proven. I mean, when Clockwork Orange came out, I'm sure a lot of people said, oh, fuck, well, I don't know if this rape language British thing is going to take off. I mean, there are a lot of people that really dislike the film and eventually it became a cult classic. But it's kind of the same thing with American Mary. It's a very high concept. No one's ever done it before. And the things that happened in the film haven't been attempted before. And it looks good on paper. Nobody wants to put money into it initially, but everyone says as soon as it's ready, bring it to us first. And... I think that's a lot of the problem that's going on right now. Everybody's really excited by these independent artists that are coming up with these really unique ideas. And once they get these artists, they want to take away everything that's unique because that's considered a big risk. They want it to be girl meets guy, girl doesn't do much except be really pretty, and guy saves the day, and we got to have some girl in a shower showing her tits, running from some killer. It's just, I've seen that movie, and it's not like I don't like that movie, and I don't have anything... Wrong, uh, like any problems with sexuality in movies, but there's a big difference from being in in Boogie Nights and being Heather Graham in that amazingly sexy roller girl scene, or being a pair of tits whose face is never in focus like there's a big difference and it's not a service to anyone watching the film to have characters or uh, points like that, except maybe in um, Piranha 3D, that w- it didn't pretend to be anything other than it was
0: and it certainly delivered <laughs> Do you also think that being women and doing horror makes it even harder that, you know, people feel like somehow you shouldn't be doing this or you should be doing a different kind of horror? Well,
1: I do get a lot of reactions from people when they find out I make make movies with Jennifer. They ask what kind of movies, and I'm like, oh, we make horror movies. And they're like, oh, well, you seem really talented. Maybe you should make something else. Just... And it's that negative connotation with horror. Like, if you look around the world, look at what happened when they had made a Serbian film. Yes, it's provocative. Yes, it's, there's points that are completely disgusting. But the ratings board said it was fine. So if someone chooses to see it, they should. For uh, This happened in uh, Canada, in Montreal. There's a prosthetic artist called Remy Couture, and he was actually taken to court for moral corruption because his prosthetic effects look so good. And it just feels like... You're upset about real life situations, and who are you taking it out on? People that are just making movies that are reflecting things that are actually happening. It's always been easy to have a bad judgment of horror because what do you. Th- to the person who doesn't know about horror, who doesn't love the movies, you expect that to be people that are obsessed with death, like, actually enjoy human suffering, and want to have it provoked in that. And it's. It's very uneducated, and one of the coolest experiences I think I've ever had is when uh, *Dead Hooker in a Trunk* was banned in a theater in Saskatoon for its title alone. We got ma- uh, letters from around the world, people who didn't even watch the movie or like the movie, defending it. We had um, we actually had a university professor from New York who went out watched the movie, and she wrote this huge, big thesis about it. Now it's so unbearable that they would ban the movie for such a stupid reason, and. It's true, it's, um, it would be absurd to name something dead hooker in a trunk and not have it be satirical. It's, it's, it's just, dis- it would be disgusting and it would be socially irresponsible to, to what is the word, glamorize that kind of yeah. violence against people. Sensationalize. Sensationalize. My sister has half my brain, unfortunately. <laughs> I get to borrow it sometimes. But <laughs> I, One thing about being females in horror, especially since uh, Diablo Cody came on the scene and uh, Catherine Bigelow's Oscar, when people kind of looked at it like it was a niche, like a quote, cool, like, oh, look, you're a girl. That's a cool marketing angle. What can we do with that? But it's also double-edged a lot, especially if... Um, if you're an identical twin there's this fetish going around where people think that they're magically going to have a threesome right away and there's you present yourself in a certain way and you find you're you're always breaking down people's perception of you and I can't tell you how many times I've even gone to big agencies in in Los Angeles and they said oh they want to sign you as a client and then I go Jen get because she's the single one gets a phone call right after the guy wants to fuck her and oh yeah no I'm not going to sign you but I would love to take you out for dinner and it's it's the same, and you know what? I, it's, it's Hollywood, baby. I bet some guys get the same phone call after they go in. <laughs> it's tough for everybody. It's really tough. I feel the expectation is different for women. I do know that there are some women out there that have their independent films, and they say, oh, it's because I'm a woman that it's not getting out there. Unfortunately... And I hate to say it, some of the time, not all of the time, but some of the time is because your film just isn't good enough. And when we first completed Dead Hook in a Trunk, our first edit, it was not good enough. It wasn't. And I don't think that women should be graded fairer than men. If anything, I think we should be graded harder. I mean, we are—we do have to catch up with where they've been and unfortunately it's not just filmmaking I mean unfortunately men have been ahead of us with occupations for a while I mean for careers a lot traditionally we used to stay home and they used to have the jobs and it's not a negative thing I mean things are changing and there are a lot of women on the scene right now I find it insulting if someone looks at my film and says, oh, well, it's a good film for a girl. I'm not making a good film for a girl. I just want to make a good film. And I try not to have us being women come into it. I mean, some of the nicest things I've ever heard is someone say, oh, i really liked Dead Hooker and Truck. I didn't know girls wrote it. That's really fucking cool. And I want to break that stereotype. I shouldn't be You shouldn't watch a film and know that there's a male writer or a female writer or a male director or a female director. I think the emphasis really should be on the work. And when people get caught up on is it a guy making it? Is it a girl making it? I don't see the difference. It really should be an emphasis on doing good work. And what you said about women having to work harder, it reminds me of my this. I don't, for all you comic book geeks out there, I don't know if you've ever heard about a movie called, or a graphic novel series called Preacher there's this amazing panel where they have the lead bad guy, Airstar, and the first thing he says is, kill the women first. And he goes on to, he's talking about terrorist attacks, and he's saying, if you're in a terrorist attack, and there's a woman there, the reason why she is there is because not only is she good at what she does, she was so much better than every single fucking man there, which they would rather have, that she made it, so she had to be here. And that's exactly the way it is in the film industry. You have to be so fucking good that it doesn't matter if you have a vagina, a penis or fucking both. You have to have the best product out there. And a lot it's a, it comes off Air grant a lot of the time when you hear other filmmakers say that and I don't I'm not saying anything that I've done is is better than anything. As a matter of fact, the only reason Jen and I are sitting here talking to you guys is because the horror community is the best fucking people it consists of the best fucking people in the world they heard about this movie and they, f- they they did pieces they told people about it they said go see it and now it's out by IFC Midnight and it just shows you what the community can actually make done if you work fucking hard and really you're, you're going to if you're, you're a filmmaker and you think, oh, I'm going to make a movie and be... No, Jen and I have never been paid for a single thing, and there's still a long time. It's four years. We, we've we both gone down two dress sizes, because literally myself, Jen, and CJ Wallace, the goody-two-shoes from Dead Hooker and a Trunk, who we fell in love on the movie and is now my my partner both ways, business and everything else. But uh, you fucking starve for it, and that's that term, starving artist, it's it's a real thing, but... When you start seeing it pay off and you see a little bit of success, it's, it makes it all worth it. You really have to work everything to make it happen.
0: Now, do you think either Dead Hooker or American Mary are a film that could have been made within a studio system, or are these films that really had to be made independently?
1: Dead, go ahead. Oh, I think Dead Hooker in a trunk, there's no way in hell it could have been done with a studio. The plot, if someone was to say that there's a consistent plot, they might have been smoking a little bit too much weed or drinking a little too heavily during the screening. We actually structured the plot of the film to follow more like a video game plot so that you'd never know what was going to happen. I hate watching a movie and the first five minutes in, you're like, oh, well, I'm not sure why that character is there. He's probably the bad guy, that's the good guy happened to me when I was watching Shutter Island. Spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't seen Shutter Island. I looked at it and said, "God, I sure hope Leonardo DiCaprio is not just the crazy missing patient." And then through the entire thing as it progressed, I was like, "No, it's just too obvious." And then it ended there, and I was so angry because I really wanted to see Martin Scorsese scare the shit out of me. And you know, he, did, he he's Martin Scorsese, it's not like he fucked up, but that one plot thing I saw from the beginning, dead hooker in a trunk. The way we structured it, the way we shot it, the, the feeling behind it, it wouldn't have been the same if it was studio film. Everyone came out and volunteered their time. It was done during the writer's strike. Almost nobody made anything to work on Dead, Hooker and a Trunk. It was truly a passion project. And I think if it was a studio film, it would have been it would have been completely a different creature by the time it came out. It wouldn't have been the people's film. And I really feel Dead Hooker and Trunk doesn't just belong to us, but it, it belongs to the people that watch horror movies and think, I wish this would happen. I wish this semi-truck would show up and take her arm off. Well, yeah, it happens. Yay. We wanted that to happen too. And, uh, American Mary, I think with a studio, I think it's a Bit too high concept for a studio to have really got it, and especially the way we're doing some of the things, some of the tricks, and some of the people that we're bringing in, I don't think a studio would have been comfortable enough. <laughs> Well, the thing is the studios aren't paying for movies to get made anymore, especially from new artists. They want to make their Twilight. They want to make their big superhero movie. They want to make the thing that they know they throw a shitload of money at, and they're going to get a shitload of money back. As a matter of fact, most studios do acquisitions right now. We've had almost every major studio read the script for American Mary, and they like it. They don't know if Jennifer and I can pull it off, but they really like it, and they want to be the first to see it, but they will not put a penny in and they will do nothing to support it and that's kind of a reflection of the times especially it's there's a dissolution diso- a dissolution the disappearance the <laughs> the end of the middle what class are those D words. there is no middle class the middle class is disappearing it's just going to be rich and poor and the same thing is happening with film there's not going to be five million dollar budget it's going to be under a million and these hundred million dollar giants and That's just the reflections of the times. The big studios don't want to take a risk on this. If they put in, like, $5 million to make American Mary and nothing came back from it, they don't want that time. They want to have some guy with his shirt off doing some PG movie where they can have the underage kids in there. (coughs) Taylor Lautner. (coughs) I think he makes beautiful backflips. And Taylor Lautner, you ever want to be in a really good horror movie, you come look me up. I think I could do something awesome with you. (laughs) Britney Spears, too I've changed my mind about
0: you I think you could be a really
1: good actress
0: (laughs) So where did the idea for American Mary come from? I mean, what kind of drove you to make this as the next
1: film? Oh, this is such a funny story Um, When when Dead Hooker in a Trunk was done the very first cut We made a a little trailer And uh, the movie was so inspired by Grindhouse We sent uh, the, the trailer to every single director involved And we never expected to hear anything back We just said, our story, you inspired us, thank you so much two days later I hear from Eli Roth and he's just, he's been such a sweetheart, he's such a supporter of independent filmmaker and he, hes he's hes a, a dude feminist and I know that sounds weird but he re- he really likes chicks just watch Hostel 2 and he wants the girl to be the one that kills the girl and also to be the bad guy but um, after he had, we had done all the the talking about Dead Hooker and Trunk he asked us what other scripts we had and I didn't have anything at all so I so I lied, and I said, um, I have a whole bunch of ideas, Eli. I got so much Which one do you want to read first? I got this one, this one, this one about this medical student. And he's like, yeah, I'll read the medical student one. I was like, oh, cool. i just got to do a little pass over it, and I'll send it over. And uh, the medical student idea had come from uh, something I saw on the internet that truly, truly, truly disturbed me. And uh, it was something that left a mark on me, and when something scares me. I kind of fixate on it, and I want to learn everything about it. And uh, I know this is so unfair. What did she talk about? What is she seeing? The last cameo scene, Jennifer and I are actually uh, ending uh, or stepping away from acting for from now on and to just focus on writing and directing, so we're going to have one final uh, cameo role in this, and that actually happened in uh, real life a little more grotesquely than it is in the movie, I know. It's a little bit of a cop-up, but don't worry, another scene will make up for it. And uh, oh my goodness, and they said, you have to be an identical twin to understand why somebody would do this, and I thought, no, no, somebody wouldn't want to be an identical twin to do this, and I was like, it's so scary, it might actually be a really funky concept for a movie, and uh, we got together, we wrote the little outline, we had it done in two weeks, and we sent it away, and uh, we've been picking away at it ever since. It turned out, it turned out really crazy. It's okay. It's it, an okay script. It's weird because it kind of took a legs of its own. Because there's some characters I was like, oh, they're just going to be here for this, and they're just a plot point. But they kind of stayed, and it, it kind of took a life of its own. And before I knew it, I had this big, complicated movie that I was really, really proud of. That was really, really different. And uh, and then the next time I saw Eli, I was, I, I, had to admit it. I was like, Eli, I have something to tell you. He's like, what is it? I was like. I didn't actually have American Mary already writ. I just lied to you, and then we wrote it in two weeks. He just looked at me and laughed. He's like, "Yeah," (laughs) and then and then he asked me to pitch him the movie, which I did. And he did some. He's amazing. Tough love. He said, "Your pitch sucks. Work on it." And I did. And now it's getting made. Thank you so much, Eli.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You guys are really teases though, because you're like. I, totally I want to so I know, much talk about it, but
1: <laughs> here's something that's a little Very juicy that, that hasn't been done. I've, there's rumors a lot of times when you watch horror movies that, oh, they didn't have the budget for this, so they did it in reality. Like, they actually did this to someone. Well, we, we are working with a modest budget, but I thought it would be kind of a thrill if we mixed real stuff. Some of the prosthetics, so when you watch the movie, you won't be able to tell if something's really happening or if it's something completely fabricated. So it's good. It's going to be pretty raunchy. There's a few days that the crew's like, "Can I not have to come in on that day?" I'm like, "Yes, everybody doesn't have to come in on that day, except for the DP. You have to be there." <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, in pushing the envelope like this, um, you will probably get people who say things like they did with *Human Centipede*, mm-hmm. like why should we go through this? Why should films like this exist? So when people say things like that, what do you say in response?
1: I usually say thank you, because the worst thing that can happen is someone watches your film and they have nothing to say about it. I remember watching that film Vacancy, and I remember I saw the first scene, and it was so scary, and I literally, with a gun to my head, cannot tell you what else happened in that fucking movie. I hate it when someone watches a film and it's instantly forgettable. With Dead Hook and a Trunk, people either passionately say they love it, or they passionately say we're talentless piece of shit directors from Canada. And I'm happy for that because they're passionate. Some of in both that is, it can be up for a susceptible opinion, but we're both Canadian. Everything else is, you know, opinion. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're definitely Canadian, whether you love it or not. <laughs> but it's it's a good thing because you want to instill a strong emotional reaction. That's what film should do. It should There should be a purpose for making a film. And, you know, that's my advice to some filmmakers, especially independent filmmakers, with so much goddamn competition. When they make a film and they don't know their marketing strategy, they don't know why the film exists, you ask them, what What are you saying with this film? And they're like, oh, well, it's a love story. Well, who the fuck cares if it's a love story? Everything could be a love story. But why does your film have to exist? I'd rather make a film that a thousand people... Have to see than a film that a lot of people just see and forget. I want American Mary to be a film that I, I know it's so hard to describe it fuck, without saying what it's about, but there is, I know there are a lot of little girls and a lot of bigger girls that, and grown up girls that can't make American Mary, but what happens in American Mary and the message of the character and the way she, God, the way she perseveres and the things she goes through. I think it's going to be one of those films that if you're having a shitty day, you're going to put on American Mary and you're going to feel better about life. Maybe not all the way better about life, but you're going to feel like a fighter. Well... I also know that we completely, completely are ready for any kind of uh, backlash about it. As a matter of fact, um, the first time I heard about Mary Heron, the the wonderful director of American Psycho, she was having to defend the movie against the Canadian government because they wanted it thrown out of Toronto because of the material in it. And she spoke so eloquently and so intelligently. And that's part of the reason why the lead character is named Mary, because I had such a strong level of respect for her. I was like, look at how she's doing this, and she's talking about this movie so intelligently, and they're just ripping her apart. I was like, there's something about a person who can make a write and direct a movie, and then stand behind it no matter how what kind of backlash comes from it because when you know what you're doing and you know the intention that you're going for some people are gonna hate it I I have no problem with that but you're not making it for those people. I'm making it for the people who do want to see it. I also blame Lars von Trier. He's one of my favorites, and I remember watching him at Cannes when Antichrist played, and they said, why did you bring this movie here? And he said, I'm the director, and you are my guest. And I thought, wow, Lars, I would just love to sit on a little council and have somebody stand up and be like, why did you make American Mary? Of course, I wouldn't say that, because I'm not so pompous about the, you're my guest, but I would probably say... Exactly why I made it because it's. You're too Canadian to say that. I I don't know. I'm just too humble. People say they love the movie, and I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I'm so. It's just. It just doesn't feel real because I think. Well, we're both just such horror nerds that the a chance that we're the thing that the that the fact that we're even having this opportunity is and it's completely incredible. It's just. An I feel a lot experience. of responsibility for that too because we have the opportunity to bring our films to life. I mean, there's so many horror fans that want to be given the opportunity to release their films and to make their ideas. And I feel that is something that we always take into respect and put a huge perspective on because if we want to make films that people want to see, I think that horror, unfortunately, is one of those cash cows that a studio can just put together easy. You put this name in, you put blood and tits in, and you release it on Halloween, and you get a certain amount of money back in. And you can feel that those films don't have a soul People don't love horror that are making it, and people don't even understand it. It's just like a quick cash cow. It's like, I know that there's a horror audience that will come in and see every piece of shit movie. I know, I've seen every Saw movie in the theaters. I love the Saw movies. I know, but is everyone going to change your life? <laughs> no, they did not change my life, but I do like to whisper that I'm going to make people atone. That, that was awesome. <laughs> Well, I'm
0: wondering, in today's environment, where you do have films like Saw and Hostel, and it seems like part of what's going on, too, with the horror audience is it's like they're going to these films just to do this one-upsmanship thing, Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, I can watch that. Oh, that doesn't bother me. Oh, that, you know, it's like... And how do you make films for, like, a horror audience where, you know, they're kind of jaded and... You know, they're kind of the Scream fans, too, who want it a bit jokey. But if you really want to go to that dark side, I mean, how hard is it to kind of get to that audience and try and reacquaint them with what, like, real horror is?
1: I think as long as the piece that you're doing has some sort of an honest message to it, despite the, like, I just watched a movie called Pontypool. It's very non-graphic, but... Oh my God, the tension. You're watching it and you're just hearing that. It and it's not, there's nothing classic horror about it, but they build the tension. Another great film, uh, Funny Games, it does come off gruesome, but oh my gosh, the tension in the entire film. And you're not doing the typical, oh, this guy is unbeatable Im- and he's a tool of the devil and he has superpower. No, these two kids come to your house and they just wreak havoc on your family and social. Um, Politeness keeps you from get- telling them to fuck off right away. It's just so fascinating. Um, uh, we've learned so much working uh, on film after Dead Hooker in a Trunk. We really walked ass backwards into that, and we worked hard to catch up to where we needed to be. And it's been it's been really hard, and it's been really grueling. And uh, a lot of the plot of American Mary goes in 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 tune with that, where it's so hard to just live, pay your rent, pay your bills, just survive. But if you want to be something exceptional, if you want to break the mold and do something that's really going to leave a mark on the world, you have to sacrifice so much. And sometimes, especially today where it's just so fucking hard, you sacrifice the person that you are and the choices that you make to get there. And that's really what we, we delve in with this. Yes, it's extremely violent in some parts but there's some parts that are really scary where we're not bashing anyone over the head, we're just building tension in these horrible situations that you really wouldn't want to be in, but we make it situations that are very familiar to you so even though this is a fantastical world about underground uh, operations and whatnot it's also something like I've been there I've been the girl that's standing there that feels like everyone's out to get me so it's it's interesting I think I think you have to you have to be a horror fan to understand what horror fans want to see because when you do it for the money it's never going to work out for you I think when the emphasis is purely on the horror, it can only turn into a one-upmanship. I mean, look at the Saw films. I mean, I enjoyed them. I really did like them, and I like to poke fun at them because they're like an ex-boyfriend that I still kind of have a crush on. But when... You, you cannot look at the Saw films and say that they went into deeper character development. You can't say that it's on par with something like Silence of the Lambs. And I think that is an element that needs to return to horror movies. I think the focus has to be on doing a magnificent film, but with horrific elements to it. Of course you can have the gore. Of course you can have the fucked up shit happening. Of course you can have the parts where your mom's like, oh no, I hope you cut that out. But... If you put something more in, with Dead Hooker and a Trunk, I think our humor and the passion of it and the just grindhouse style of it really came across, and that's what people got behind. I think it was the passion that got people behind it. And with American Mary, there is a lot of gore in this movie, and there are going to be some parts that are very, very difficult to watch, but there's a very strong storyline that's something that we got as a critique of dead hooker in a trunk people said there's not much of a plot there's not very well developed characters yeah i know i didn't i didn't develop those things it was supposed to be a you can drink through the entire film and you're not going to get lost there is a dead body in the trunk with drugs you have to call the police right now it's not like you guys had anything to do with it right Last night is really fuzzy. I'm gonna go bury the body. You can't just drive around with a corpse in your car. If you want to look for deeper meaning in Dead Hooker and a Trunk, I can tell you about the religious undertones. I can tell you our feelings about violence against women. I can tell you that I prefer to write a heroic character and not write it as a woman, but just cast a woman, like with Sigourney Weaver in the Alien franchise. But I think it would, if you were just going to focus on horror, it would just be more and more gore. And I was having this conversation with Todd Masters that at some point, if the emphasis is just on horror, I mean, he does prosthetics, and of course he does horrific elements, but he does prosthetics for sci-fi, and he does prosthetics for a normal, well quote-unquote normal shows as well and at a certain point if you're just trying to gross out your competitors you're just going to have some unwatchable crap and you're just going to have gore for the sake of gore and that's fine I mean everyone wants to turn on something bloody or something sexy or something stupid sometimes but then again who's gonna watch that film over and over again of course there's a niche audience but if there's a film like silence of the lambs that you can study in film school and you can have theological discussions about and you can really break that film down with all its crucial elements that's something that becomes immortal but I don't know if we're going to be talking about Saw in the future. I bet we are, the first one, because it was very, very clever. But the unfortunate thing about turning a film like that into a franchise is that it's expected at the end of each film to have a twist. That's my same feeling with M. Night Shyamalan. I think he's a wonderful director, but I want to see him do a twist. That's no twist. I want him to go through an entire fucking film, and you're waiting for the twist, And it just ends. Because that would be original. The same thing happened with Scream. You're just sitting there. And I find I'm not even watching the fucking movie. I'm just looking at actors or characters that don't seem to be well-rounded enough and saying, okay, well, that's probably the killer because I don't know why she's in the movie. Or he's probably the killer because I don't know why he's in the movie.
0: Now, talk a little bit about why you chose to use uh, prosthetics as opposed to CGI. I mean, aside from budget. But, um, I mean, there's a real reason for making that choice.
1: Well prosthetics are really what got us Into really loving horror Filmmaking is just watching The actual physical thing and You look at a movie, a classic movie Like The Thing, you see the effects And they still live up to today I watched the first Spider-Man movie Because I'm a Spider-Man nerd and I'm like Oh look, Spider-Man's floating, oh look how look how stupid This is, it's just, it just seems like A disservice to the storytelling mm-hmm. Sometimes a movie is so good You still like it if the effects are crappy But why do it? Why do it when you can actually do it in a proper way? And I know prosthetics are a little costly, but use them where they count. Use them where... We, we made a, a fake head for Jen in Dead Hooker in a Trunk so we could pop an eye out of her socket, and that was that was worth the extra little bit of change. It's a very special moment in the film. Also are definitely 80s brats. I grew up watching stuff where you actually had stuff there, like Jacob's Ladder, they had the use of real life amputees, and that was horrifying. They used real life amputees in uh, the thing as well. And another unfortunate thing about CGI is that it's changing constantly, which is a good thing, except if you look at say a music video that Queen did back in the day you can tell that it was made in the 70s. You're instantly taken out of the moment. The Hulk movies are an example I come back to. I love superhero movies, and I love the Hulk, but I watch it, and I'm not seeing the Hulk. I'm seeing some big, massive CGI thing, and it just completely takes me out of the story. And maybe it's just me, because admittedly, I am the pickiest person to watch movies. I'll be like, oh, I don't like that lighting, or oh, that shot's almost symmetrical, or oh, the background is disgusting, or oh, that... Wardrobe is so obvious, but... You are a snob. I am, but you have to watch movies with me. Ha! Well, just just think of a movie like The Exorcist. What if they used CG for that? That would have been terrible. But what Dick Smith did with Reagan and all, Mm. even the aging, he just revolutionized how, how movies are made, how prosthetics are viewed, and no one would be scared of a little girl, but oh my God, did he make that girl terrifying. It's just... It just has a better impact. You can always tell a cartoon. You can almost always be like, oh, that's CG. Oh, and then you're out. And then you lose everyone completely. I wouldn't say that CG is completely awful, but I know it seemed originally that it was used for little embellishments, like little places that it was subtle enough that it would really hit the mark. In Dead Huck and a Trunk, sorry, spoiler alert, there's a scene where uh, our junkie loses her arm And we have a lot more footage, but we had to minimize it to only be that much because any longer, it would have looked fake. Any longer, it had to be that fast and had to be that abrupt. And that's how I feel about CGI, especially if it's supposed to be an embellishment if it's supposed to be adding to an effect and again coming back to the Hulk if they could make dinosaurs for Jurassic Park I mean my god can't you make like a Hulk creature or make a small one and just Lord of the Rings it, just proportionately make it bigger There's got, I mean somebody's got to try it I'm sorry Joss Whedon I'm still going to love the CGI in Avengers I promise
0: <laughs> well is it also partially that if you're using CGI your actors are not Mm -hmm. as engaged because it's something that's going to be added later and with the prosthetics it's something that's there
1: oh definitely well it's so cool when you have the pro i love having actors who haven't had prosthetics before do the prosthetics because like it's exciting everyone you have a prosthetic day everyone is smiling everyone is excited about it You have a tennis ball and a stick, people don't get as excited to see it come around. Oh look, he's over here! Oh, I'm so scared! I know it's called acting, but it's kind of like a disservice to your actors to not give them something to act against. I would say that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is absolutely my favorite film. But, you know, it's almost like CGI has gotten a little bit lazier in the day. Because I watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I see, like, Roger will jump on the bed, and there will be little footprints of him sitting there. And you have Bob Hoskins giving him exact eye contact. And I think because it was one of the first films that were done like that, you know, Oscar winner, (laughs) special achievement, they had to do it really, really well because people were looking at them to fuck up and now it's somehow just gotten a little bit more lazy where, oh, well, people know it's CGI Well, we're not going to try and cover it. It's just too much work. Yeah, it is a lot of work and if you're going to, pardon me, and go down that route, you should put the work in absolutely because you're going to pay for it in the end when someone's sitting there rolling their eyes being like, oh, when's Hulk going to turn back to Bruce Banner?
0: Okay, I think you guys probably need to get ready for
1: Oh that's right. Mm -hmm. Oh we're ready. How are you, Till? Oh it's six thirty.
0: It would be more than six months later that I got to speak with visual effects and makeup artist Todd Masters at his warehouse offices. I spoke with him on May sixth of twenty twelve, just after he received a Skype call from the Saskas, informing him that American Mary would be screening during the Con Film Festival, but not in competition.
1: Uh, we're really excited. It's going to be playing on the seventeenth. Holy crap! Have, uh, that's have,
0: wow. That's cool. That's coming up.
1: That is coming up. It's the first time I'm going to see an audience actually react to the movie, so I'm oh. fucking thrilled.
4: So May seventeenth, you're you're at, you're playing at Con. Yeah,
1: playing at Con. Oh it's God. not that's eleven days. Wow. That's, that's really fuck. um it's not in the uh it's not in competition it's, it's hitting the market and we have we rented out this big place and it looks like cool. it's from the movie it's all black and uh Ooh. white with little accents of red <laughs> it looks like this goth like manner it's really beautiful and we're we're gonna be playing in a bunch of uh a bin, bunch of people from the market are coming a cool. bunch of people from uh, different distributors but different uh studios so sweet so, I, I hope
0: they laugh and get disgusted. Well, yeah, I, I think they will. <laughs> I think they'll enjoy it thoroughly. It's a great movie. I asked him how he first got involved with the Soskas and American Mary.
4: Uh, I got a call from Jen Soska, um, boy, early in 2011 or maybe even late 2010. They had this project they wanted to share and they sent this script and uh, we had a meeting and it was kind of obvious that these two were a little different than the average film persons uh, that I had worked with. You know, most film people I work with are, they're kind of, I hate to say it, but they're, they're, in a, they're in a way, we're kind of over it, you know. I mean, a lot of us are, We, I, for instance, myself, I've been doing it for all my life, and I'm not over it, absolutely, but, you know, you you feel the, the strains of filmmaking. And these two came in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and ready to make, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, if necessary. I just immediately f- fell in like with them and thought they were pretty freaking awesome. And so I read their script uh, kind of – and it was kind of weird. When I started reading their script, I was like, this is also not the same old script. <laughs> this, is a, this is a script that's actually got a lot of soul in it. And uh, and then they gave me their first movie. And I'm like, what the hell is up with these two? And so I watched this movie that they claimed to have made for a nickel, literally a nickel, It was actually really good. That was Dead Hooker in a Trunk. You know, the way these two worked, it was obvious that they weren't bullshit artists. They were actually really going for it. And uh, I love their backstory. You know, they came to me actually by... uh <laughs> they 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 entered a little contest we had on our you know our company's Facebook page. Masters of Facts has this little Facebook page. Every so often we run you know fun little contest stuff to our fans and stuff. And so here's a, a post from Sylvia saying, "Hey, you know, here's the answer to your your, your question. I want to win the shirt. We sent her the shirt. Had no idea you know she was a filmmaker. And then you know, flash forward months later, we're on the set of American Mary and we're making you know their their next opus, and it was so much fun. I mean it was like being a new filmmaker again, you know. This is our 25th year of doing business as Masters of Effects and I've been in, I've been a filmmaker since I, you know, a professional filmmaker since I was 12, believe it or not. I actually started painting animation cells when I was 12. And uh, so it was it's been a long road for me and these guys kind of like reinvigorated the the film soul, you know, the filmmaker soul in me. So it was kind of cool to kind of, you know, jump on board and work on this thing and it was by far the the, the most fun that our shop's had in a long time, and I think some of the better work that we've done in a long time just because we were so into it. And, you know, hey, we did it for a, a song because it was, a, you know, independent, a small, small budget thing, and it was actually kind of fun to try to achieve at, you know, high level with, uh, you know, bubble gum and <laughs> sticks and hockey tape.
0: <laughs> now, in contrast to the budget they had, tell me some of the things that you've worked on that are, you know, really much more mainstream Hollywood sure, kind of sure. projects.
4: Well, we're currently finishing uh, Season 5 of True Blood, and we also have Falling Skies, Season 2 of Falling Skies uh, coming out. It's a bunch of TV stuff, but we also did uh, the recent Underworld movie, Underworld Awakening. And, um, you know, throughout the years, Look Who's Talking, The Horse Whisperer, uh, What Dreams May Come. Uh, I worked on the original Predator I uh, worked on Poltergeist too. I mean, you know, I have a big trouble in Little China. I've been around. And so, and I've done a lot of commercials too. We did a lot of, you know, characters like, you know, uh, did, uh, oh, the Michelin Man and Jack from Jack in the Box and, you know, all sorts of staples on, you know, TV commercials. So we've we've really seen the gambit. And uh, so it's it's really nice when you get something that's, you know, different than, you know, so much that I mean, I've done so much. It's just bizarre to actually see that there's something unique and different in Hollywood, and it's, it didn't come from Hollywood. It came from you know North Vancouver.
0: And what was it in their script that kind of hooked you? That made you feel like you wanted to work on this project?
4: The the writing was really crisp. I, I really like the way they handled dialogue and their characters. Not to say that I don't see a lot of good writing. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be working with you know JJ Abrams of the world and the the Alan Balls of the world. I mean, they write amazing material. Uh, The Saskas had a kind of a different riff on things. Uh, Not only was the subject matter original, but I, I kind of felt like, you know, I was back in the 70s, maybe with a 16 millimeter in New York City, you know, trying to shoot a version of Mean Streets. It felt it had a lot of Things that Hollywood has a tendency of falling into the same formula—the fields or the others—that say you got to do this on page thirty, and you got to do this on this page, and you need to have a subplot like this, and you know the, the protagonist needs to do all these things. And it, it is, you know, as everybody tries to not be formula, there has a tendency of becoming that. And it's just because we're all kind of clustered together and we all read the same damn books, you know. Oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. Saskas didn't do that. They kind of came out of nowhere and loved movies. You know, they're kind of the female Quentin Tarantino story in a way. They they were always hanging out in video stores. And even, you know, before they were old enough to look at horror movies, apparently, they were always like looking at the back of video covers and trying to check out what the cool uh, critter was and the fangos. And they were kind of more from the fan side of it. And the script really read like uh, it was something that they wanted to see, you know, rather than just the the formula that you have to do to make a good script that everybody has to follow. They they were writing a movie that they wanted to see, and because of that, it made me want to see it. You know, so that was kind of cool. It was you know I read a lot of great stuff, and not to say that, you know the the more you know A-level pictures, if you will, are any lesser uh, of quality. It's just the Saskas are trying something on an independent level that really feels like that 70s style of of you know breakneck filmmaking where it was it was a little more about the art and less about the you know the first week in box office
0: and what do you think they they bring to horror that is kind of kicking it up a notch or or giving it a nice tweak?
4: The Saskas are bringing to horror a unique spin on things and i I know I'm going to state the obvious here they're female, and there's not a lot of really talented female filmmakers. Um, you know, leading the, the charge for good horror. There's you know, there's some great directors out there. But there's you know, like for instance, you know, Kath, Catherine Bigelow is a great director, but she's only one. Here <laughs> we have two of them, and they're you know, they're great directors, they're great writers, and uh, you know, they've even performed in their first two movies and really good actors. And I guess they've done their own stunts. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe did the coffee? They because they're they're women, they seem to stick out of a male dominated genre. Uh, a lot of people think that blood and gore is for the boys and so these are kind of like you know girls that really like hanging with the boys you know but play their way and so they have they're they're certainly not butch they're certainly not you know they're they're very f- feminine and beautiful women but they just happen to like blood and gore and they love monster makers stuff and you know they walk around our shop and they just totally geek out and it kind of makes me geek out you know it's kind of cute because if if, I, if if eli roth came to the shop and he starts geeking out you know even you know before he was what he is now i don't know if i would geek out as much because i you know as another guy you kind of you shelter that stuff oh i'm not gonna geek out if he's geeking out and there's these ladies that just kind of come through our shop and like every little thing they just think is the most fantastic business in the world. They come up to our foam runners and they they talk about, you know, our, our foam runner, Mark Faniello. They came up and they they said to them, uh, they, uh, they said to Mark, uh, we're really big fans of yours. And he's like, yeah, right. He goes, no, oh, we really are big fans of the work you've done. He goes, I run foam latex. He goes, yeah, I know. We love it. <laughs> It's like, you know, we have these uh, amazing, not just... Fans, but appreciation of of the art form, and that's kind of the neat thing about makeup effects. uh, You know, this side of the business, it actually is starting to be recognized as an art form. You know, CG has kind of taken over a lot of films. Um, A lot of the audience is starting to go, "Hey, you know what? We miss things looking kind of real." And so that's also the other kind of fun part is these two are actually going, "You know what? The hell with all that CG stuff. Let's let's really shoot stuff. Let's really film real things." And for that style of movie. The, the reality of it, the grit of it, uh, really pays off. And it's cheaper. <laughs> and it's better, so, you know.
0: Generally, when you work on a film, is there that as much of this kind of collaboration between the filmmaker and you as it seems like you had on American Mary with them?
4: No, it's uh, and it's not as much fun either. I mean, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble with other filmmakers, but it's just, uh, we have a way of um, kind of over-executizing what we do sometimes, you know, especially in big projects, you end up having to you know send off a uh, a lot of communication to a lot of people you really never meet you know you have executives and producers that have uh, input on stuff and it's usually by email and it's usually uh, or on phone or maybe even in a meeting with a group of people that you don't really intimately get to know that well you don't really get to know their likes and dislikes and what maybe they're really looking for in a case of an independent film or in a case like working with the saskas it's a very direct relationship they they either like it or they don't like it and the other thing is is because they were so interested in our company and the work that we've done historically they uh they really liked the stuff we did so it was like you tell us you know what works best for this and it was a really uh great way to make the movie because i knew that they didn't have a lot of money and so they kind of gave us a lot of control on how to design some of the stuff and so we We gave them some good old-fashioned tricks, you know, things that actually, you know, are are solid state. You know, they really work, but you don't require a lot of exterior visual effects pizzazz to make them, you know, what they are in film. And the relationship was so much fun, we wanted to bring more to the table because we saved so much time from not writing 10,000 memos or, you know, doing maybe, you know, the the client polish. We just went right to the work uh, that we put more on screen.
0: Well, also, it just seems like the collaboration began early so that it mm-hmm. seems like the effects were so well integrated into what the film itself was about. Because it's about, I mean, it deals with underground surgery, so it seems like that's such an integral part of the story right, that right. you guys were brought in early and really factored into.
4: Yeah. Yeah. There was, there's, you know, whenever you're doing a film like this, I mean, this this involves, uh, you know, a medical student and some pretty unusual surgeries and... You know, doing things like that, you want it to feel grounded. You want it to feel believable so you can really kind of get the emotion. You know, if you're cutting into someone's flesh, if it looks like phony flesh, you're not going to get the full impact of what's in the movie. And there's a variety of different ways to actually do a simple gag like that. It sounds simple, but you can screw it up really fast and make it look like an effect. We don't want it to look like an effect. We don't want people to step out of the movie. We want them to experience, you know, the story through images and not to be held back by, oh, did I just see something phony? And so by kind of getting into their heads a little bit, learning what kind of films that they were really, you know, influenced by, um, we, we started developing a good language. And I, I scribble all my ideas out, so I do a lot of images, you know, just in my sketch pad, you know, cartoons or whatever. And so we were able to really kind of get to the meat of that really quickly where they were very specific on the shots uh, at, at certain times that they would like, but in other times they were welcoming to um maybe ideas that would be maybe more interesting and stuff that they wouldn't think that they could do with effects and so it really kind of allowed for a uh, a lot of fun you know um, making the making the film together as as it were they really were interested in people that did what they did for a career and asked them for advice. You know, they weren't like, oh, I know better than you do. They weren't like that. They would come to you and say, you know, what do you think? And we would offer up ideas. And same with the other departments. People were really engaged in making this movie. It wasn't, you know, a, a dictatorship. You know, it was actually uh, a very friend, friendly set. And, and it totally pays off. Once you see it, it's like, how did you guys do this for the budget? And it looks great.
0: I was working on some student films and stuff, and on one project, a producer set aside a half hour to do 10 zombies. And then I was working on another film where the guy who was setting everything up was a makeup guy. And so he allowed like two hours mm-hmm. to do like three zombies. So it seems yeah. like, you know, just the different attitude make yeah. such a difference. It, it, it
4: does, it does. You know, I think that uh, because they're fans of the genre, They understand the you know, the impact that some of the stuff that we make will be in their film. And a lot of people they just see it as, you know, i hate to say it, but sometimes they just see it as a dollar sign, you know, we just spent that much on this, well we need to put this amount of that on screen to make it pay off. And and that's where you get kind of odd decisions, you know, methods of making things and maybe indecision in film. Big big movies, since you have so many executives trying to make one decision. Oftentimes they they pun it to visual effects so it can be done afterwards and figured out later and that's where you kind of see some things that maybe don't really fit uh, with practical effects with things that you actually shoot on the stage on the set you you really need need to plan it in advance and you need to respect the art form and the time that maybe it will take and if you do that it, it won't really add to you know your your film schedule it, it'll I mean, again we made this movie in fifteen days it's not any shorter than. The Avengers, you know, (laughs) it's the same length. And, you know, I'm not going to say we have the same amount of effects as Avengers, but we have uh, quite a bit of stuff in there that was done all by design. And um, because, uh, you know, Jen and Sylvia Oscar are really into this art form of, of monsters and makeup effects uh, they were very specific about you know let's let's see this so I want to see how you know I want to see the cut and I want to make it feel believable and I really need to you know they were really into the the physicality of the work and it was it was fun to achieve it that way and it was fun to actually have them um, say no you should really spend extra time on this because it's going to be close up and this is really going to pay off and this and they, they got our, our art form very, very well so it was, it was great to work with them on that, that level
0: can you talk a little bit about the difference kind of in the gore in the sense of the way they use it and the way, like, you know, a lot of people in their heads, I think, like, if it's really gruesome, it's torture porn. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the difference in how, like, the those kind of graphic um, elements are used?
4: Yeah. In, in the Saskia's first film, uh, Dead Hooker in a Trunk, it's 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 a little uh, more garish. Um, you know, we didn't work on it. <clears throat> their blood blood effects are... A little brighter, you know. There, it's it's kind of done for a different different effect than American Mary. American Mary is, you know, a, a real story of of this medical student, and you really get into her head, and that's a lot of fun to you know go through a character's ride, especially the way she kind of dips into the underbelly of society, and so they were really smart about how and when they reveal blood or blood gags and the it was really interesting to watch you know it's it's you know blood gags and effects and things like this are almost almost like punches in a you know in, in a boxing fight you know and you want to you want to play them at a specific time to get most impact and this was not something that i had to tell them about this was something that they came in and knowing after watching so many movies how and why things worked and by you know maybe being on the outside looking in a little more than like for instance someone like me who has been in the end so much and just kind of we look at you know we look at dead things like silicone and you know fake blood (laughs) you know it's rubber they're looking at it for a different effect and they really understood how how to play these and how to how to not overexpose the gore because sometimes if you you know it's like um You remember showgirls? They showed so many boobs that you kind of got sick of it. You know, it's kind of the same thing, actually. If you show too much blood at the wrong time, it's never going to give the effect that you want it to give. And when you're playing a character that goes through a dramatic arc, that's key. Because you need to be able to, you know, live within this person's, you know, experience. And by you know, by getting their punches and their jabs, you know, so to speak, at the right time. It was actually, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to see how they were playing their cards. And they were really good about it, really smart about it. Not, not, I mean, they kind of have a reputation for, you know, doing a lot of horrific stuff, a lot of blood and, but they, they're smart about it. They don't, they don't just, you know, pour blood all over the stage. They, they actually uh, set it up and deliver it.
0: And from what I understand, because it does deal with underground surgery, some of the The gore that is being shown is stuff that people are kind of willingly submitting themselves to. Is Mm -hmm. that part of it? So does that kind of change what the horror aspect of it is?
4: Absolutely. Um, Some of the characters in American Mary um, are are doing this um, because they're actually interested in it, which takes a, a really odd Uh, because we're in Mary's mind and we're trying to experience the film through her and she's very curious about this much like the audience is it really does take a spin on the horrific elements of it and it it gets you that much more intimate with it I mean everybody's a little squeamish about blades and being cut and these are very strong symbols in most of our minds because we've all had those experiences or maybe you know had the vision of someone being cut or someone in surgery we all kind of associate that this is some hardcore stuff so when you're actually... You know, able to kind of transport yourself to kind of, you know, I think the twins would say perv on someone like this uh, and actually see believable surgeries, it, it really does change the horrific element. You feel almost like a personal connection. You know, you almost feel like you're getting it. You know, it's uh, what was the classic Dolly cutting of the cow eye? Remember that from – I can't remember. I'm going to – Fail film school here.
3: The yeah. I mean it's like uh,
4: that. Thank you. Okay. Can you just say that, that I just <laughs> said exactly what he said and I'm as smart as he is. Thanks. But yeah, same thing, you know, it's like you feel it. You actually experience that. No matter how silly that cow eye is or goat eye or whatever they actually used. You know, it's obviously not a human eye, but you don't have to have a human eye. So it's 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 a it's like a punch, you know. I saw a boxing match last night. So. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> the I was analogy just thinking, of the afternoon. I was just thinking one of the like one of the most
0: like one of the scenes that I, I don't generally turn away from films, you know, yeah. horror. But there was a the documentary, oh, I can't forget I forget the name of it, but it was about a porn star and she let them film her lipo section. And it was just like the sound yep. and and like the the person doing it was just like you know, like shoving mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. and you're just looking just at like it. It's like a job. Like, <laughs> Do well, the like people willingly subject themselves to
3: that.
4: The, clo- the closer these associations are in our life experience, you know, the more pain we might feel to them. So if you can actually tap that, you know, because I always design monsters with that in mind. You know, when you design like H.R. Giger, uh, always was. We always talk about Giger, and like the design of Alien and all that. And he was really smart about not just how it was designed, but also how Ridley Scott filmed, you know, the first Alien. You know, just by revealing, you know, little tight teeth and drippy slime. He was hitting all the associations that we all. Are afraid of, and so you know the thing about any monster, whether it's rubber or, or pixels, uh, it's it's a lot less about how much you see. You you really do kind of want to tease audiences with you know a an association. So in a case like uh, you know Giger's alien, you know it was like sharp teeth and drippy stuff. It was all this stuff that was teased they never really showed it until the end and then you're kind of disappointed but throughout the movie you're building it in your head and these are scarier monsters in your head than you're ever going to see through your eyes it's, it's that old thing I mean you, you you want to kind of tease in these cases and and use these associations to your benefit in a horror film and uh, the great thing about you know a film about surgery is that everybody is sort of familiar with you know what, it, what that type of direct pain would be so if we can make it and make it believable and make the audience feel it then it, it really heightens the experience
0: now, one of the things they had mentioned to me is that they did a mix of kind of prosthetics and also using some real people um, who'd had some body modifications. Mm-hmm. So how is it working on something where you're kind of – where there is that kind of a mix, which is not that frequent in films, I don't think?
4: Um, let's see. Um, well, when, whenever, whenever we're dealing with you know this – level of detail and reality, you really do have to make your artificial skin really look like artificial skin. So I mean the bar is already there. Um, when you actually have people that are, you know, have actually done these things to themselves uh, in real life, um, I don't know, it's, it, it was it was new to me because I, I had not really explored this world. So I, I was fascinated by it and um, I, I actually had no idea that it was as, as in-depth as it was. Uh, so it actually was a great challenge, you know, because here's here's a shop that's used to making a lot of fantasy characters, and you know, fantasy characters are usually you know taking and misshaping faces and using you know the the design of face and and all that, and and there's a particular direction you go in terms of design. Like you know, if you want to make something evil, your brows are usually angled. You know, there's there's certain base rules um, when you deal with something like this where it's actually uh, it's kind of somebody else designing on a on a human face. It it opened up different images for me because it was all, all of a sudden it was like wait a minute that's that's something I probably wouldn't design because I you know as you develop your design sense over the years you you know you basically you go off your reference this was a reference I hadn't played with yet and so it was a lot of fun to actually you know start kind of exploring you know that side of it and to try to make our stuff seem uh, as believable as possible so it did marry very well no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh. Well, because the only thing I, I could um, really think of offhand that kind of mirrored that was like going all the way back to Todd Browning's Freaks, mm. where you get this sense of you're not sure. Yeah,
4: I'm still not sure on Todd Browning's <laughs> 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 Freaks. I mean, I, I actually, I know that quite a few of them were actually, you know, uh, really, you know, real performers. We'll
2: make a one of us, a loving cop, a loving cop. We accept a one of us, we accept a one of us. Google gobble, Google gobble. We accept her, we accept her. Google gobble, Google gobble. One of us, one of us. Google gobble. <laughs> They're going to make you one of them. My uh, peacock.
4: I have a hard time watching that movie, and I didn't have a hard time watching American Mary. But yeah, you're right. you're right. It is It is very similar. Um I actually really enjoyed American Mary. Uh, I mean, I've still, I still haven't seen the final, but I saw an earlier cut. And if you, can, if you can like an early cut of a movie, you know you're on the right track. There is a certain level of discomfort that you get when, you know, the subject matter. Um, and I, I wasn't put off by it. It was odd. It was, it, you know, there's, it's an emotional ride, I'll just say that. And uh, it was, it, it should be a lot of fun to see how everybody else takes a peek at it, so.
0: And I'm not sure how the story plays out, but on a certain level, it, it sounds like they're not, being judgmental of the people who right. kind of go through the, the this underground surgery,
4: right? And we actually had that on set too. Um, you know, not, not everybody on set was really cool. I mean, it was really a good group of artists and filmmakers uh, doing it for the right reason. But still, you know, we all we all kind of wanted to make sure that you know, if if someone came in and they and they had a, a type of surgery that you know, this, this is to be respected. I mean, this is a choice that they have made. And you know, as as much as people make choices of doing you know tattoos on their bodies or you know, fixing their noses or wh- whatever, you know, we do. Um, it's it's their own personal choice. And in a way, that's actually a big theme in the film. You know, it's, we, we're all free to do whatever we want to our bodies. You know, it's, we have technology now that allows you to do some pretty amazing things. And, uh, you know, whatever gets you through the night.
0: And how does the kind of surgery that's dealt with in the film kind of play off of plastic surgery that a lot of people do to make themselves just like look younger or you know just
4: there's a there's a touch of that um i think i'd probably get into too much detail if i told you that too much but yeah there's there's an element of that which actually was a lot of fun because uh i have done um makeups like that in the past um there was actually a character in white chicks that i did uh that's barely in the movie now got pretty cut out of the film uh, but it was all along those lines but kind of done more as a joke and in this case we were trying to ride that line and just trying to keep things surreal but still sort of real, you know, so um, it, it was an interesting line to try to hit um, but I, I, th- I think it works really well.
0: And for you, what which is like more challenging and more difficult to actually achieve on, on film, something like this where it's Kind of very much rooted in the real world, or kind of creating these completely fantastical characters. Uh,
4: both both approaches to this art have their own uh, challenges, so to speak. I mean, if we're doing something hyper real, you know, like a six feet under, um, you know, the or, or an American Mary, you know, the the challenge is actually almost kind of the reverse of, of making you know big monsters and fantasy films. The, the challenge in doing hyper real. Is to almost make people forget that there was effects people involved, you know. And like when we were doing Six Feet Under for five seasons, we kind of had this, you know, inner mantra, you know, inner code that we were all kind of talking about is that we wanted to make the 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 dead bodies in the movie, you know, it was, you know, basically it's a movie about uh, you know, prep at a funeral home. We wanted to make the bodies so believable that you kind of just forgot about them. And it wasn't about, hey, look how cool we made a dead body or look how cool our fake head stuff or our fake body stuff is. Uh, it was it was more like, you know, yeah, so what, there's a body lying there. You know, we kind of almost wanted people to forget that it was artificial, you know, maybe it's an extra that just, you know, looks weird or something. And not make it about the effects. And that really I think played well in 6 feet under and I think the same level plays well in American Mary, there's a level of, you know, believability. Our, our artists at Masters of are like so tight these days. You know, we make flesh that's, you know, has little hairs growing out of it, that is translucent like skin, has, you know, has capillaries, has, you know, blemishes, has all these things that, you know, it's funny, we, you know, years ago we tried to be removing blemishes, now we're adding blemishes, you know, just to make it that much more believable. And it's you know with with HD filmmaking with you know high definition with you know we're we're really looking at things a, at a higher level now. Um, our, our work has to be that much tighter to, for it to be completely believable. And so it is kind of this interesting challenge. But it's it's almost like the other the polar opposite side of the spectrum from you know making uh, say a big monster for Fringe or you know a, a werewolf for Underworld. Um, they still have to be, have a, a hyper end of detail because we're still you know using the, the same you know. Eyeballs, they're still the same cameras, um, but it, it, in a way, it, it's you know, it's obvious that this werewolf that we've brought to stage, you know, on Underworld is a fantastic character. So it's kind of a, you know, you want to make that bigger and drippier and gnarlier. And on on the American Mary or the six feet under reality side, you you want to kind of play softer, and, you know, just be subtler and just kind of. Scoot it in without people noticing so it it is a it is a different mindset and it's kind of fun to when both types of projects are happening at the shop you know it, it is interesting to see how everybody operates you know on, on a an art forum that's meant for you know different types of impact and you know, different type of emotional response in movies
0: now you've been in this industry for more than two decades. do you see any change like do you feel there's any kind of a renaissance going on in practical effects with you know, there's shows like Face Off that are focusing on it, and now DVD bonus features will have, you know, an entire featurette explaining how these effects are done. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's helped to, like, create more interest, get more people involved in it, or, you know, create more interest in terms of what people, audiences' expectations are?
4: Yeah, I I think practical effects is making a big uh, resurgence. Um, I don't really know if it really went away. There's a lot of us that have been kind of pushing it and kind of maybe delivering it a little differently. I mean, our shop has both practical and digital effects, and we like to mix it, and we like to do it in a way that maybe the filmmakers sometimes don't even know (laughs) because it's just, you know, it's part of the magic that we do, and it's kind of cool that when you see things like Face Off and Monster Man and there's, you know, some interesting Facebook sites uh, like Practical Effects Group and a couple others that uh, just have oodles of, of fans and filmmakers that are really interested in in kind of the you know that missing link you know we were we, we got our stuff and we still our stuff is as technologically advanced you know as much as, as digital filmmaking and digital effects and you think about it you know our materials are that much better our animatronics are that much better the way we integrate you know visual effects and practical is that much better and so I think that's partially do for for practical effects coming back you know we're making it easier and more available for filmmakers but on the other end I think there's filmmakers you know like like the Saskas that are fans of this media that you know are actually saying you know what I don't want to push a button and get a dinosaur I want to really actually give me something real and when I have to I'll make it a CG thing or we're actually doing uh, some shows that even have stop motion in it again you know I mean there's there's actually a an interesting uh, level, you know, we always talk about like um, if you can imagine the, uh, you know, the caveman being attacked by the saber-toothed tiger, and he's you know just right into the you know near-death jaws of this damn thing, big old tooth bearing down on him, and you go, wait a minute. Okay, here's a photo of that saber-toothed tiger, and we're gonna shake it at you and get you just as scared. It, it doesn't work. It's there's something really inherent about you know be, being able to believe something's actually physically there. And not only that, it, it it's better for directors to direct something that's actually there, and for actors to act against something that's actually there. It's as we found out in many cases, it's really difficult for people to shadow box and you know shadow act and Shadow Direct and you know we did a series of Michelin man commercials years ago where it was you know half practical and half digital and it was Fantastic! It was great to see you know something actually grab something physical and move it, and in that case a Michelin tire, you know, and actually you could see him squeeze it. And the areas that was difficult for practical to do was like the face, you know, the facial features we wanted very squashy, stretchy, very avery So Digital Domain did this great face on it that was would never be able to be done practically, you know, even with twelve puppeteers chasing him around, it wouldn't be like that. So it's a different day for 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 film effects, and as you know, there's going to be more demand for fantasy film you know obviously we are seeing quite a few this summer that are you know really breaking box office you know these are effects films as we're seeing more of these you know uh ex- escapisms uh you know they're going to be asking for more and more effects and it- it's going to need to be uh something that really ups the experience and, you know i think because so many people that are interested in fantasy entertainment are also gamers they're getting used to the processor they're getting used to the perfection machine we like to call it and there's just not enough chaos in digital work they try to add chaos but it's just it's better to have it practically you know you see uh, the Batmobile is a great example you know in the new Batman films it crashes through the garage and pieces fly all over it that's actually happening on a miniature and you get all that stuff for free and it looks real because it's real if you actually try to sit down and figure out the type of chaos that would happen to an explosion this and that chances are good that maybe you're gonna have that saber tooth tiger effect, you know, where you kind of go, hey, booga booga. It's, it's just not going to work because people are, we've figured it out. We've caught it up. You know, we've caught up to the trick. You know, the magician's, you know, oh, he's behind the curtain, but he's exposed. So, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's a big reason. And, you know, it's fun to see face-off, and it's fun to see all these shows uh, really start to take a new look at, uh, you know, the practical world, makeup effects.
0: Now, the film's going to Khan. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, are you surprised that it's going there? Do you no. think it might? No, you think it fits there or it deserves it?
4: What really fits in con? <laughs> <laughs> con, you know, uh, I think it's great because the ladies have not been to con. That should be a lot of fun, and they bring a, a type of energy to everywhere they go. So, I wish I was a fly in the wall. Con is always, you know, it's 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 a great destination for the independent market, even still. And, um, you know, it's a great gathering of filmmakers that want to go to the beach and watch movies. So, you know, the Saskas aren't very good on the beach, but uh, they're going to be great with the movie side of it, you know. I don't think they do a lot of beach, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, but they, you know, this this is a type of movie that's different. Uh, it's, it's, it's a unique uh, approach to not just filmmaking, but to the subject matter. And there won't be another movie like it, and there certainly won't be filmmakers like these two there. you know they'll, they'll totally be different than everybody else that's there trying to sell their stuff. so I, I think they're going to have a great great experience, and I, I think the film will um surprise a lot of people.
0: And can you say what your next project with them is about, or is that under wraps?
4: We have developed a, uh, a werewolf movie together, as well as a couple other properties that we're doing. Um, we're, we're pitching a, a TV series, and uh, we have a, a werewolf thing that we've developed, and we're shopping around. And uh, a couple other things. We, you know, we have a lot of fun together. They're uh, they're really talented, really talented ladies, and uh, I, they they obviously really like all the toys and art crap that we have. So it's a good mix. And um, yeah, we hope to do a lot more together.
0: And what kind of a werewolf? Uh, can you give any preview of kind of?
4: It's a Canadian werewolf. <laughs>
3: hey.
4: Hey. <laughs> Roar, eh? <hey. laughs> it's actually uh, it's a fun uh, story that I, I developed, and I pitched to them one day as we were driving the uh, the highways of Los Angeles, and uh, they were in post-production on American Mary, and because they have so much creativity like just seeping out of their pores, twice, uh, that they just like immediately said, we love this and we want to take it and run with it. So we developed this thing together. They started writing it and, um, you know, it was kind of odd. I mean, we all have our our jobs that we're doing. I mean, you know, the shops are always busy and they're, they're cutting their films and they have all sorts of things going on. It was kind of amazing. All of a sudden the script materialized and it was really good. I'm like, wait a minute, where'd this come from? And they, they wrote it like in, in breakneck pace. And we did a little refine to it and we've had a lot of fun meeting over it and developing the art. And uh, we just started walking it around. We've had some real good interest on it. So it's it's kind of the thing that, you know, there's obviously a lot of vampire movies out there. We, we do several ourselves. And I think that genre is pretty much dead and done. And there's been some really great vampire projects. I mean, True Blood is fantastic and there's some really great vampire shows. But as far as Werewolf goes, you know, I could really use a a werewolf movie like the old days. You know, this is me personally talking. You know, I want a really good werewolf movie. I haven't seen one, uh, you know, since The Howling. You know, the original Howling or maybe the original American Werewolf in London. Movies that, you know, I actually believe that there's a real werewolf, you know, running around tearing people up. You don't see that, unfortunately. There was a great werewolf in Cabin in the Woods. uh, And I, I thought that was like the best part of the whole movie. And, you know, werewolves are just... You know, this is a great uh, element that we both developed in the film. You know, they're they're almost like this. Um, they're li- they're a little bit of a, an analogy to um, to our own inner wild side. You know, and uh, this this takes a good look at uh, uh, some teenage characters that are kind of you know coming of age and learning their inner wild. And uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So we've had a lot of fun developing it, uh, not just as a, uh, a film property, but also on the effects level. You know, it's obviously very important for us that. The, uh, the monsters look as cool as the script and the direction is, so we're, this is going to be a kick-ass werewolf
0: movie. I know it. Hey, what happened to that werewolf film? I need to bring that up with the Saskas the next time I talk to them. I did get a chance to speak to the twins a few days later by Skype. It took a little while to get the call going, because fire alarms had been going off in their building. Hey! Hello! Oh, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm so good now that the fucking alarm isn't going. <laughs> Oh my god! It was horrible, Beth. It was horrible, and apparently, our all the apartments are connected, so no matter where they were, our alarms would just keep fucking going off. It was like hell.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of suites in this building. Uh, first of all. If you can talk a little more freely, how would you describe this film?
1: I would describe this film as more of a, a thoughtful horror. I find a lot of times when people uh, make anything in the horror genre, they almost look at it like they look at uh, making like pornography, because they think as long as you have the money shots, you have somebody getting killed and a bunch of murder, and you have some tits and some, some funny one-liners here and there, they don't really feel that you have to put more of an effort into it. And it's really a shame, because Jen and I grew up watching horror films, and they were some of the most intelligent, well-thought-out, interesting films out there. And now it just feels like the soul of the genre has been sucked out with all these remakes and all these things that focus more on box office and actual content. So it was really important to us to make a horror film that, yes, it's a horror film, but at the same time, it's a film that has horrific things that happen in it. It's completely different from Dead Hooker in a Trunk. I would say it's the polar opposite stylistically in every way. This film is very much influenced by foreign films like European films and Asian cinema that we find have a lot of very fresh, cool, stylistic approaches to horror, where unfortunately more and more you see in North American cinema, you see the remakes and you see the slashers. And it almost gets to the point where the slasher is what people consider a horror movie. But I, I consider a horror movie anything with horrific aspects to it. I mean, I Saw the Devil. That's a horrifying film. But it's not a slasher by any means. No. Or even an even independent film like mm-hmm. Fat Girl. The whole movie plays like a Lolita until the last 15 minutes. And it's one of the most horrific endings I've ever seen in a film. And it's a horror film.
0: One of the things that Todd and I talked about was... What's the difference between using makeup effects and, you know, prosthetic effects that he did that can be very explicit versus what is so commonplace now in just, like, kind of torture porn stuff? I mean, what's the difference? Like, how are you guys approaching, you know, the way you use those kind of visual effects that kind of makes you stand out as different from the more mainstream horror? Well,
1: um, a lot of times I find effects like a lot of blood and really gory uh, uh, prosthetics are used in lieu of having a story, in lieu of having something happen there because the it gives you a certain visceral feeling when you see these kinds of images and there's not much thought put into the rest of it. For us, uh, the the prosthetics and the effects and uh, even the special character actors that we had come out specifically for this film, they're part of the story. They're written into actually be part of the storytelling elements to not have them there would be kind of ridiculous and also uh you don't necessarily always know you're looking at a prosthetic when you're watching American Mary it's funny because uh we have some actors in the film that wore prosthetics through the entire film and uh some of them knew them because uh, they were well-known within the city, and people were like, oh, when's Tristan coming? And I was like, oh, Tristan's already here. She's been here every day. She's right over there. They're like, that's Tristan? We thought that was just some chick with all this shit done to her face. I was like, well, technically, you're not wrong.
0: <laughs> because
1: we blend uh, actual physical surgical changes with prosthetics, you're never going to be 100% sure when you're looking at a prosthetic in this film or if you're looking at somebody that actually has something physically changed about them. I think it's a lot... More difficult to do a film like this where you don't pour blood over the prosthetics. Anyone can tell you, especially a makeup or prosthetic artist, if you don't have a good prosthetic or if you got rushed or whatever, just put a fucking shit ton of blood and gore on it and nobody's going to notice. But with Master's Effects, and they're so, so talented, you can look at a prosthetic and you'll have no idea it was a prosthetic. There is a day, because Sylvan and I have a cameo in the film, Mm -hmm. that I was wearing... A piece for a, a, a part that you know, I need to have some some violence done against me, and uh, no, everyone was saying, "Why are you taking so long in makeup? Your sister's done. Why are you an hour and a half?" And I was like, "Well, actually, all this is not real. It looks like it looks like me, but it's not me. There's a whole bunch of blood and shit going on underneath." this facade. No, absolutely. And it it kind of bums me out how horror is nowadays, because we used to watch horror movies with my mom all the time. She's the one who got us really into them. And she just doesn't like horror movies as much as she did. She said she doesn't want to see all this gore. She'd like to have some sort of a story also. And there's nothing wrong with gore. Like, Martyrs is one of my most favorite films, but it's because it has a place in the film. So in this, we didn't want it to just be like a shock jaw kind of film. We wanted it to be a horror film that you don't necessarily have to look away from. Although there is one scene where I think we kind of pushed the boundaries because <laughs> in a test audience screening, we had uh, one of the audience members actually had to leave because she was getting physically ill watching the film. But she still filled out a form saying how much she loved and she hated herself for not being able to make it through the whole thing. So <laughs> that was a dream come true for sick fucks like us. Oh yeah. Someone can throw up while watching or run out screaming. That's that's the dream. I'm so upset by
0: this content. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought up martyrs. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in that film was there are actually a couple of times when they're, where you feel you want to turn away because it's very explicit. And yet it's not necessarily the moments where the violence is An act of cruelty, because there's that scene where they like take out the screws from that like mask or something, and it's actually an act of kindness at that point. So I'm just wondering if 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 those are kind of the twists that you're also doing as well. That it's not necessarily, you know, standard gore in the sense that it's just an act of violence. That it's also, I mean, because you're also dealing with surgery here.
1: Well I think a lot of this content, a lot of people don't really know about this certain world of surgery and uh, all of this is very legitimate, we actually had a a flesh artist come in who specializes in doing these surgeries, he actually taught Catherine how he does his procedures and it was amazing to actually see this realism brought into the film and there's a few uh, scenes for certain operations that people aren't used to seeing that's a bit strange and Oh, Todd and his team were ridiculous like there's this part where we have this incision where we're cutting through flesh and you actually see the muscle you see the blood spray you see everything as a matter of fact uh, Jen was so excited about that prosthetic she showed it to me afterwards and she popped out something that was uh, inserted and I thought it was going to be sick I was like I know it's not real I know it's just a, make- a makeup <laughs> I saw that get applied but oh my gosh does it still make you a bit squeamish and oh see it's it. gnarly Another real challenge with the the surgical scenes in the film is the content of them is unwatchable. If you could shoot it a certain way, nobody could watch. But it it's amazing the the way we pulled it off with our cinematographer and the amazing effects and of course yeah. our outstanding cast. Brian Pearson was amazing. Yeah. He was our DP on this. He did uh, Drive Angry three D and he also worked on um, what was that Kissed. Kissed, Yeah, so he he's got a great eye for things. And the thing was uh, the content so many people we've in, uh, actually made that teaser trailer originally because everybody thought we were going to make like the biggest torture porn movie ever. And I, I fucking hate that, co- that phrase because as soon as they hear anything's a horror, they're like, Oh, it's just torture porn. It's like, Oh, come on, sweetheart. It's, There's some violence in it. It should be visceral. There should be horrific elements. But But there should be intelligence, too. I think that there are a certain group of people that are making horror films, like remakes and shit like that, (laughs) that are insulting the intelligence of the horror fans. Yes. And, yes, I see every horror movie that comes out, but I just kind of have to because people say, well, what did you think of Human Centipede 2? And I can... Give my opinion intelligently, yeah. But there are people that think that you don't need a storyline, you don't need you don't need a plot, you don't need good acting. You just need some blood, some guts, and horror fans will just be happy. Oh, and a shitty, lame as fuck twist at the end. Oh god! Oh god! Oh no! Something twist. Guess who the killer was. Who it's usually sh- something an infant could have guessed, like the first ten minutes, and then I spend the rest of the movie being like, well, that's not going to be the ending. That would be so stupid. Oh, that it is. Oh, yeah is. Okay, cool. cool. Exactly.
0: Now, I also wanted to ask you, you do use some real people so that you blur that line between the makeup effects and what some people have really done.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't really think of any films that have done that except for maybe like i'd have to go all the way back to freaks i mean not like some...
1: freaks is the one i'm so <laughs> glad you mentioned freaks because that film was thrown around a lot on american Mary. they also did it a little bit with jacob's ladder i know they did it a little in the original thing but that was just when mm-hmm. they were hiring amputees so they could build uh prosthetics on them and then have more of a realistic uh, amputation during those scenes but um The content, uh, the community in this film that uh, Mary really uh, gets involved in. There's never been a a movie, uh, a fictitious one like this, featuring them like this before. Uh, The last person that almost did that was uh, Clive Barker, where he was hanging around in the scene a lot. And uh, he based Hellraiser on it, but instead of doing literal... these people. He did uh, *Cenobites*, which was a hell version, which is more forgivable because you can have this kind of world of fantasy. And I remember trying to pitch *American Mary*, and we got we got passed on a lot, Beth. My goodness, we? <laughs> we got passed on like nobody's business. The fact that this strange little film got to be made is just uh, it's just a merit to all the people who actually believed in it because this kind of thing isn't getting made right now. But um, oh yeah, no, the content alone of it was like I don't want to make it, but I want. First look at it when it's done, it's like, come on now, come on. Come now. on. But I blame the recession. But because they're they're real human <laughs> beings, um, and there's such a negative connotation. Like I, I collect spiders, and I always am amazed the negative connotation with them because they're really boring, sweet little animals. And everyone's like, oh, they're they're this and they're that. They just make these assumptions. So a lot of people in this community, everyone says they're ill, they're they're mentally disabled, they're they're crazy, they're freaks, they're they're shock jocks, and you know what I'm sure in any group there, there's people like that but from what I've met they're some of the sweetest mm-hmm. most uh, most secure down-to-earth people I have ever met and I wish more people was like were like that and so it was really important for us to represent them like this because at the end of the day this movie comes out, and, and people will see it, and people will be entertained by it. But at the same time, these guys are going to live their life like this from now on. And uh, they're actually a lot of them just come out into this film, and you actually see their lifestyle and how they choose to, to live their life and what they choose to do with their body. And that doesn't end after the show is, uh, is done. So it, you don't want to monsterize these people. You want to actually give a bit of honesty and truth to what their life is like. A huge theme in American Mary is appearances are everything. And the film in a big way is also a metaphor for our experiences in the film industry. And I find that a lot of people that appear to be the people you should, you know, idolize and the people that are mentors and the people that should be heroes of yours aren't. If you ever, I've met some of the nicest Satanists in the world, yeah, absolutely. I've met so many people that you would say, "Oh my God, that guy's in the HA. He's an he's a horrible person." No, I've met no doctors, professionals, <coughs> producers that are way more monstrous, 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 yeah, yes, than any of these people. The people in the the community that we deal with. I mean, they're they often get these little witch hunts against them to try to make them look. Like freaks, but they have an amazing sense of identity and honesty, and they're the happiest freest people i've ever met yeah and i think it's a subject that people talk about a lot but you don't see it in film too much where where they always say that the most vanilla nice seeming people are the most horrible people you're gonna meet in your life and the people that you're like oh god i'm gonna cross the street to avoid that person those people are probably the coolest most oh absolutely awesome people to talk to we've always felt a bit like outcasts ourselves and i've always been able to relate to the underdogs and the outcasts much more than than the the, the vanilla, the norm, the, the empire folks. <laughs> yeah.
0: and was Freaks a film that you had seen and influenced you? Yes, definitely. Now, I do have to ask, you know, when Todd Browning did Freaks, and he did have this mix, you know, using people that he knew, it nearly crushed his career, so... <laughs> Do you have any concerns about your approach to this and how it might impact? I think that
1: with our work, as we learn from Dead Hooker in a Trunk, and it's the kind of art that we like to do, nobody is 100% on Dead Hooker, and nobody is kind of, you know, lukewarm about it. Either they passionately love it and want to have our children, or they want to see us dead and they fucking hate us. Yeah, And I think that's going to... I like that. I don't think art is real art unless it has a strong emotional trigger from people. And with American Mary, I know there are going to be a lot of people that are not going to like the film, and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to really have it speak to them. And I don't think anyone should ever make a project to make everyone happy. You try to make everyone happy, you're going to end up with nobody happy. So instead, we decided to cater the film to the people that we know it would really speak to. I'm looking forward to some people asking me why I made this because I think a lot of people, uh, when they dislike something or they, they, they have a huge prejudice against it, it's usually from a lack of education or a familiarity with the subject matter. And- Sure, sure, there's going to be some people who watch the movie who will, who will hate it, and even if I say anything, they'll completely hate it and disagree. But I'm hoping that there will be some people that had no idea about this world, and they're going to watch the movie, and they're going to be like, hey, I didn't really know that much about these people, and maybe, maybe I was completely wrong. Maybe, maybe I learned something. Oh, absolutely. I would say the <clears throat> people in the community that we represent in the film – I think they're. It's it's illegal to do underground surgeries. Obviously, yeah. They but they have medical students. Do they it. do usually have medical <gasps> students. That's so do realistic it. to the content. <laughs> but they, when they do something to themselves, you know that modification is because it's something they want to have done. If someone gets breast implants or gets a facelift, sure, you can say it's for themselves and it's for their self esteem. But it's also building into what society, you know, accepts as a form of beauty. They're not doing it just because it's something they purely enjoy. They're doing it because they're fitting into what everyone wants you to look like, fucking Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we have a Barbie in this. We too. She's the scariest one. I love blondes. <laughs> me too. We're gonna go platinum after this. No, we're not. <laughs> we're all our black dresses for pink. We'll be the lately blonde twins. <laughs> oh, <God.
0: laughs> that should be your Halloween costume.
1: That would be hilarious. It would get it. scare me. You get little chihuahuas um, or little miniature pinchers and purses. Oh god.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now you guys are screening your film at. Um, the con market right yes Yes. we are um there are as i understand there are no women represented in the actual like in competition at con is that correct
1: that's absolutely correct and uh, i was reading this article and they were saying that no three three years in a row yeah it's something like that Mm -hmm. and i was just completely shocked and then they said that women weren't making films and i was like are you fucking kidding me? Oh come on now. Women aren't making films. Like we we didn't make it for the deadline, but I know a not a lot of other female filmmakers that did make it into the deadline and they just they just weren't selected. Um it was it was kind of a bummer, and I know there hasn't been a, a Canadian filmmaker in there for a while, and we were really trying to get there in in time because how cool would it have been representing little Canada? Because we're <laughs> we're known as a service uh, a service country. A lot of productions come here, but we don't make our own content very yeah. often. So it was. It, uh, it felt uh, it was a big uh, issue of pride for me, and especially because of the stigma that women don't make movies and women don't like horror movies. I wanted to be like, no, man, women do like horror movies, and we do make movies like this one. I don't know where that women don't like horror movies craziness has come from. I think a majority of horror fans, I think it's something like sixty percent ish, yeah, are, are women well, who how- said we don't like them. Well, horror movies are chick flicks to me. Okay. The, all the victims, usually women, the one that kills everyone, final girl, it's a woman. It's it's amazing. It would be weird if the final girl was a guy. Dude, that would be kind of <laughs> cool. Actually, I'd do that. I totally do it. A final guy, this little virginal guy. We have to put him in a wet tank top through the whole film, though. No, it's the <laughs> last act.
0: The last act. <laughs> now, you had mentioned um, a little bit about uh, you're going to have like a special screening room for Mary. Oh yes, uh, at our booth we're gonna have a a screen. We have a a screen and a theater
1: that's always available. But on the seventeenth, we're actually going to be at the uh, Gray de Albion Hotel, where we have excuse our French. Oh my, excuse ma mon français est ne good pas. Yeah, it's just we en retard. Yeah, no, that means I'm late. Oh. Her, I've been using it wrong. Her, her français is very not good. <laughs> yeah. Very not good. But um, yeah, so we're having a, a private screening. Uh, oh my gosh! So this time next week, it would have happened. It'll be on at the seventeenth on the seventeenth mm-hmm. at eight pm. Eight pm. Uh, it's actually going to be my our first time actually being in a room with people during screenings. And I've I've had a few people, like we had our, our sound guy come in and he hadn't read the script and he hadn't seen anything. And it was really cool to hear him gasping and laughing and being like, oh, my God, what the fuck is going on in this? And that's, that's kind of the reaction I'm hoping for. Although I know, I swear to God, I'm going to be so nervous, Beth. I'm going to be sitting there. And until I hear any reaction from the crowd, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, they hate it. They hate it. Oh, God. Oh, God. Anytime I watch a film of ours with an audience, I'm equal parts horrified and deliriously happy.
0: <laughs> That's a horrible way to be. It is.
1: I just sit there wanting to throw up and cheer at the same time. <laughs> that doesn't go well together. No. <laughs> now,
0: after it has that initial screening, um, did you say you had like some some room set up like for your kind of lap dance version of movie screenings? <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. We work at uh, the B3 Riviera booth. Yeah, and we have our own theater there, so we can do special screenings for it, because a lot, oh my gosh, everyone is so busy at con, and I hear it's like just non-stop insanity, so anyone who misses a screening uh, that day, we were planning on having uh, special screenings over at the booth, and we can ha- hang out in there, and then we can do like a Q&A, getting to talk to people. And I hate to be a total heartbreaker, but we have a Fucking kick ass! Oh my god! Con exclusive trick <gasps> of I'm American sorry, but Mary. I'm gonna try and steal and it, it and release it so oh. badly because it's like it's like my my kid just graduated from med school and I'm like, look how good he is. Yeah, no, he's single. Yeah, no, she's. I I watched that and I'm like, wow, I really want to see that movie. <laughs> it was no, it turned out really good and I'm. I'm so proud of Katie, Catherine Isabel. She was oh, yeah. phenomenal. Phenomenal in the film. All the all the cast is amazing. Antonio Cupo, Tristan Riss, Paula Lindbergh, Twan Holiday, but Oh my gosh, I don't know how we got so lucky. They were just the performances you get in here. You would you would think we had so much money and so much time of which we had none. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little more than Dead Hooker. <laughs> but, but Katie, when you see the film, the yeah, role Yeah, when of I is,
0: get to see the film. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but the role of Mary Mason is not an easy one at all. I mean, she's really put through the ringer no. emotionally and physically. Now Mentally, we- definitely. I mean, I know she was having some some hardships. Oh no, I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't believe it. And sometimes I will. I'll watch some scenes and I'll be like, I can't believe I did that to one of my best friends. I'm a horrible person. But and she, she looks is. awesome. She you looks are- awesome when she suffers. She's so pretty when she suffers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I really appreciate your time thank you so much. Uh, I can't thank, thank, you. thank you enough, and I'm so sorry about the fucking
0: alarms this morning. I was like, Jesus!
1: I huh. thought I was going to kill someone, Beth. I seriously, honestly, well,
0: yeah, I- I'm almost thinking it would have been great to be talking to you and suddenly like alarms start going <gasps> off. It'd be like, oh, it would have been hilarious. Twins are <laughs> always taken dangerous. away. <laughs> <laughs> yes they're about to screen the film at con and oh my god
1: (laughs) they're just setting their apartment on fire no big (laughs) yeah
0: exactly well thank you so much and all the best of luck at con
1: oh thank you so much thank you so much and we'll let you know how everything goes and get you anything we can as soon as we can
0: the next interview I got with the Saskas also ended up in bed. I guess it was kind of habit forming, but this time it was at Fright Fest in London on August twenty-sixth of twenty twelve. I needed to get the lowdown on the Con screening. The Saskas were putting on their makeup, even though it was just an audio interview. It's only audio. I know. <laughs> you should see us before our radio show weekly. <laughs> you get all made up. It
1: was too. Then we check our makeup between beds and we're like. No one cares they can't.
0: We'll have a video feed one day for our radio show. It'll make sense then. Checking in now on American Mary. So tell me where you guys are and what's happening here. Well, well
1: we had the exciting news. Uh, we knew for a while now, uh, but uh, Universal is internationally distributing American Mary, which is a fucking thrill because they're responsible for so much iconic horror that we just grew up lovingly. Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, the Wolfman. So to have our Mary in that family of monsters is a huge honor. They're the ones that brought us out here to Fright Fest where there is a very special screening tomorrow at 11 a.m. of American Mary in the main stage which is an audience of 1,400 people. So I've never seen so many people in front in anything and uh, I've never had Mary play in front of such a big crowd, and. We're here, Katie's here, uh, John Emmett Tracy, our detective Dollar, also flew in, so we're, we're pretty fucking thrilled. And we're going to be announcing our world premiere of American Mary soon. I can't say what festival it got into, but it's one of the biggest genre festivals in the world, if not one of the biggest festivals in the world, and it's... I can't say what festival it is, but it's an absolute privilege for American Mary to be premiering there. Yeah, we're in this really cool place where we know a lot of really cool stuff that's happening, but it's also like it comes out in a certain way in a certain time. So I'm really excited. Uh, I There's going to be a lot of festivals coming up, so we're getting an opportunity to meet a lot of people, which is kind of like... The coolest thing in the world it's almost like the old theater days when you're on stage and you see the audience right away now we're getting the same experience with the movie oh that's the best thing in the world and oh my god i wish they would just walk over to us because you see them holding their little oh dead hooker dvd god. things and they're just standing there just like so far but i see them in my peripheral and it's like come here come here i see you i want to sign it i'd be happy to i have a sharpie in my fucking purse please just come here she hasn't pulled out the, the purse sharpie yet. Usually they're very well prepared. They have their own oh, sharpies. And they own have the color that they want, and they have, uh, well, I, I forgot to ask the first person if they want it personalized, but all of them do, and none of them will tell you. Oh, it's, it's exciting. It's yeah. really exciting. I'm excited to see how they react to Mary, because, well, it's a, it's a very different film from Dead Hooker, so I just, I'm just wondering. I don't even know
0: what they expect. The press has
1: been very kind. The press has been very kind. Like you, Beth, you've been very kind.
0: <laughs> very kind. Well, actually, when I talked to you, it was before you had left for Con. So, yeah. what kind of a reception did you get at Con with the film?
1: Well, Con, we had our worldwide market premiere, and I didn't really understand what the difference between a market screening and a festival screening is. Essentially, a festival screening is much larger, and you have the fans there as well. And I was warned before I went that by, um, one of the the jurors from Fantastic Fest, he said, I never recommend filmmakers actually even going because it can be so discouraging. They're just, mainly it's distributors, buyers, studios, reviewers, and they're not there to have a good time. They're there to see if the movie can make money or not. So he said in his history of going, he's never heard any reactions, maybe three reactions at different screenings all throughout. People are in and out. And it was in the evening, so he said it's going to be scarcely attended. But it was a packed theater. People laughed and reacted through the entire thing. I forget the amount, but I, I remember counting. 30 times. 30 laughs. Uh, we had one lady walk out during a, a moment, I would call, of uh, a radical feminism. It's like burning your bra, but to the Ruby surgery. Degree and that was so I wanted to chase after her she got up and she ran out shaking her head I was like no come back but five people got up to uh, and left one was the woman and the other four were the bathroom and they came running back and there was one guy on his cell phone during the entire thing I was like what a fucking douchebag! and then afterwards he apologized he's like I was just telling my partner he was an idiot for not coming to this screening yeah they, they sat through all the credits they sat to doesn't. the end of the credits they must have thought there's going to be like a shawarma joke at the end or something well the American Mary Schwarmachow got cut out. We had to. It didn't make sense. Well, yeah, I conflicted. Venus to that. He did bastard. Yeah. No, they were, they were really kind. I'm, I keep waiting for somebody to hate it, but I I feel very lucky right now. Oh, they'll come. Everyone's been so supportive and so kind. Well, it's not just like a fictitious make em up There's a lot of uh, reality, and especially with the body mod community. So it was really important for us to represent them in a proper way, and I, I believe we did that. So I'm really most excited to see how they feel and other people that can relate to it because I mean everybody's judged on appearances and this is a movie that really plays on that. Oh absolutely even when we were developing the script we sent it to Russ Fox who is our main uh, flesh art consultant and Elwood Reed who's very big in the church of body modification and we just wanted to make sure that because I don't it's obviously not an offensive film to them I mean if you're in the medical profession perhaps but we wanted to make sure that we were representing it in the highest light. I mean us ourselves always have felt like outcasts so naturally we're drawn to taking care of our fellow underdogs and I really don't see the difference between body modification and plastic surgery. Actually I almost prefer body modification because plastic surgery you can say you're trying to fit into someone else's ideal of beauty but if you put horns in chances are you're doing it just for yourself well master's effects did a great job because we we had a lot of discussions about the process uh, the plastic surgery aspect of it and that they made a you see these uh characters that have this like more um considered acceptable uh cosmetic surgery and they i find their looks were much more creepy than anything you got from the mod community so it mm-hmm. was really cool
0: so now with universal picking up american mary does that mean american mary's future is Good in terms of reaching an audience now. You know, it's
1: funny we haven't announced anything that Universal is planning, but there's already a lot of speculation online. Uh, obviously, with a company like Universal, which we're we're so grateful and honored to be a part of, especially since they're so behind the film, American Mary will be reaching a much wider audience than say Dead Hooker and Trunk perhaps would, and. Uh, Take from that what you will, but a lot more people are going to be seeing American Mary. And one of the most important things about the film getting out there is kind of like with Dead Hooker in a Trunk. If people say they want to see American Mary, if the reaction is strong, I mean, people think that their word doesn't mean anything, but it means so much because, I mean, Universal, every studio looks online, they watch Facebook, they watch Twitter, they check to see what the buzz is. So by just saying you want to see American Mary, you're doing your part to see American Mary. Well, I really hope people get behind and enjoy the film just because it's so unique and not like anything else else out there. If it can be successful, then I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, we don't have to rehash this old idea. We don't have to do a found footage fucking ghost movie for the mm. nth time. We could just do an original idea and maybe original thought is cool again. Maybe it's this new trend of trying to do something that you haven't seen before. Okay. That's great. Ah, thank you!
0: That was my last interview with the Saskas about American Mary. Miguel Rodriguez and I brought the film to San Diego in 2013. It's easily one of the top horror films directed by a woman, right up there with Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, and Mary Heron's American Psycho. As always, I look forward to what they have coming next, but I do hope they take some time for a very personal, very twisted horror film of their own. Thanks for listening to another edition of KPBS listener-supported Cinema Junkie Podcast. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Acomando, your resident cinema junkie.